Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of joys, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy In front of me, I have the very wonderful Rachel Elliott, um, occupational therapist, but also the director of Nurturing Connections OT. Welcome. Thank you, Kathy. It's good to be here. And on the edge of your comfort zone. Let's just get that thing out of the way. <laughs> it is definitely out of my comfort zone. So I'm looking forward to the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so what we can say up front is that Nurturing Connections is not your first business. No. Not your um, first rodeo. So no. you're an entrepreneur here. Trying to be. <laughs> tell us about, um, maybe tell us a bit about your first business because I think it's really, really relevant. Yeah, sure. Um, so back in 2013, I think it was, um, my business partner, who's also an OT, and I decided to go on the journey of doing a joint venture together and we started uh, that business and we just worked from our homes and did mobile. So that's how we started with doing everything ourselves, as most people will be in the same boat, I imagine. Um, and then we took the plunge, I think it was a year or two, it was probably two years in, um, took the plunge and, and employed our first OT. And that was pretty scary at the time. But then when it happened, it's like, oh, what are we worried about? Um, <laughs> and in Newcastle and working with children and families. Yes. So um, Newcastle born and bred too. So I uh, had some good connections already, I think. So that helped working um, in health before that. Um, yeah. And so a lot of our business came from word of mouth at the time. And I think it's kind of changing now because there's so much in terms of um, businesses out there competing for the same clients. And so um, things have kind of shifted a bit around how you get that 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 client base as well. Um, but I think, you know, our focus in the new that first business was all around culture and 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 um, and aligning with our values and hiring for that cultural fit rather than experience as well. And I think that really really helped us as a business grow. Um, yeah. So that was a while back now. What do you yep. remember learning in those early days as a business owner? <sighs> I remember lots of learnings around the business side of things and and being really disorganised and um, trying to do everything at once so you kind of felt like you weren't doing anything very no. well. <laughs> um and I think I read on your, you know, on your site as well, you know, like when we first start, you do everything yourself. And so I think I was grateful to having a business partner so we could bounce ideas off each other and we could share that load and that stress and that, that you know, nervousness around all the stuff that you don't know. Um, so that was really helpful. But I think what I learned was putting your hand up and asking for help as well. 
whether that be colleagues, mentors, you know, accountants, solicitors, like, yeah. So I think that was probably my biggest learning for starting the new business was to reach out sooner rather than later. Yeah. So paint the picture of this first business. I think the team grew to 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't keep count of. <laughs> um, so, sorry, what was the question? It was about just, I just want to put a bow on the business yep. that you have since left. And I, yep. I think it could be really interesting to just hear a little bit about what the business looks like and maybe what some of your motivations for leaving were. And yep. it's it's not a disaster by any. No, no. So um, the old business is still really successful. It's still growing. We're still like, well, we, I see, I could still call it we. <laughs> we. Um, so it's still growing. Um, so, yeah, like we have, I think there's like 10 OTs now. We've got OT assistants, obviously admin and management, and then you've got, you know, your outliers with accountants and things like that as well. Um, and so I think our model was new graduates and supporting them. So we really invested a lot of time and money in doing a really good induction program. So I feel like a lot of our teams stay for longer as well. So that was really nice. So it's really successful. It's still growing. Um, it was actually was anymore. It was really hard to make the decision to leave because the team is amazing and I love them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, it's, yeah, it's, and I believe it, you know, I believe we had a good reputation um, around Newcastle as well. So that was really important to us to kind of maintain that high standard and and things like that. Um, but it wasn't probably where I want to head in my future. So that's kind of where the things were starting yeah. last year probably. And, the, you know, the effects of burnout after COVID was probably that really struggled to bounce back. Mm. So what can you tell us? You don't have to, you know, tell us everything, but what can you tell us about the thinking process of stepping away from a business that you created? Because mm. I just hear the word courage. So yeah. I'm interested I, to hear what, what your process was, really. Um, I think a lot of it was unconscious to start with. It was mm. just like, oh, I'm stressed. I don't know why. I'm not loving my job as much as I had done previously but I couldn't put my finger on why like because team were great love my team I love the work still you know like and there was just something missing and um and then during the year because I do provide some external supervision um I had to knock back a couple of inquiries to provide that and that's kind of when the catalyst was oh that's actually what I really love doing right now is is providing that more and so and I didn't have the space where I was currently um previously yeah. Um, so that kind of started and then, you know, you're just talking about work to friends and things like that. And I think um, even my business partner even said, you know, are you, are you happy? Yeah. Like, yeah, like <laughs> is, yeah, because, you know, we're very different life stages as well. So we always knew one day I would probably leave earlier than she would. So it was always, you know, going to happen inevitably, I think. Mm. Um, and then. I think it was people asking questions about work and things like that. It's like, oh, hang on. I really want to do that part of it now. And I don't think my the way my brain works, I couldn't split it into two and do both well and, and be comfortable with that. So it was probably six to eight months of just 
mulling over it really. Wow. Yeah. And then when I made the decision, it felt like a weight off my shoulders. And then, you know, you you go back into work and you're like, oh, no, but I'm going to miss my team. And, yeah, so <laughs> am I really making the right decision? And <laughs> That's that testing your decision, isn't it? Yeah. That's so, yeah, so that was kind of the process and. But once I had made that decision, it was it was pretty firm, except for those couple of little hiccups where I was like, oh, am I making the right decision? But I kind of always came back to, yeah, now I feel really excited about this. Mm. And the process was smooth enough? Yeah. So um met with my business partner and I said, I've got some news. You know, <laughs> she was amazing, yeah, has yeah. been through the whole process. Um, yep. So selling my share to her. So, you know, didn't have to worry about all that external stuff and um and then telling the team oh that was oh. yeah I don't think I out of cry I did <laughs> I think I may have cried before I even got the words out um yeah so that they were the hardest moments was telling the team and then the next uh, hard parts was telling the families yeah but I I then everyone was kind of on your side Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think you said like courageous. I think they're like, oh, wow, that's so amazing that, you know, you're yeah, taking that that leap of faith, I guess, really. I don't see it as, I don't know, I just think if it doesn't work out, then what's the worst can happen? I'll just That's that classic OT thinking. <laughs> I'll just do something else. <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, so it was, it was, I mean, we're still in the process. It hasn't all form- formalised, but I've officially finished up there and and just doing some handover stuff still behind the scenes. But it's yeah, it's and I've started the new business this year. Mm. So what? Uh, what did? What was it like starting business two Um, interesting because most of my clients follow. Well, actually, my clients followed me from the whole business. So familiar and not familiar. You know what I mean. Yeah, a mix of familiar and a whole lot of new and yeah, okay. yep. Um, and I guess previously I was working from home a little bit as well as going into a clinic. So um, I guess it's it hasn't been too different just yet. But this year will be lots of change, and so I'll be developing new things. But to start with, it's kind of been nice, gentle easing in with familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So Have you approached um the I'll call it business planning. Have you approached the planning and the systems and the the operational things a little bit differently? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um so a lot more planning went in before I started um and did like a planning workshop last Friday actually to plan the year and and to really cement what my goals are and to put an action plan in place. So have spent that time putting all the things into my calendar and I, you know, outsourced an accountant from day one or before I started officially and signed up with the small business center to get some, you know, support from that perspective. Um, So I did a lot of that outsourcing from the very beginning but I was in a I guess I was in a position where I could do that as well um and then the systems all the systems that I had liked from the previous one had implemented and just tweaked obviously to suit us all you know me um so yeah a lot more organized and feel a bit more confident I think in that side of things 
That makes sense because I can't, I guess you've got prior knowledge. You've already yeah. figured out what will work and what won't work. And so you can fast track stuff. You've already decided which software you're going to use, which platforms you're going to use. You know what you're looking for in accountant, bookkeeper, marketing, coaching, support, yep. so on and so forth. So you're kind of just making decisions so much faster. Um, perhaps with less self-doubt, but maybe not. That thing shows up still. Uh, yeah, I think there is less less doubt because you've done it before, whereas if it's the very first time, like there'll be things this year where it's the very first time that I've done it and I, I know the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome will come in then. Um, but I think, you know, 10 and a half years, actually probably even longer than that in private practice, um, you, you, you build some strategies around talking that down. and Yeah. Yeah, and perhaps have more trust in your in your gut and trust in your judgment and more confidence to act on A or B. Not yeah. ruled out C and D already. Yep. And I think less afraid to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you oh. can I just brainstorm some ideas here with you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Tell us, um about nurturing connections OT. Like it's it's similar, but it's different. Yeah. So Nurturing Connections OT, um, I wanted to choose, actually, it started with the name. I guess I wanted to choose a name that aligned with what I, how I operate, I guess, as an occupational therapist um, and providing that place where we nurture not just our clients but other OTs and supporting and so and I'm more of a collaborative kind of OT as well I think so having those connections is really important to me as well so that's kind of where that came from Um, but the focus for the new business is more around providing supervision and mentoring to other OTs primarily Um, and then my new challenging goal is to develop an online training um, to then supplement that supervision with a small caseload of clients just to keep, you know, your your relevance and and your your finger on the pulse of what's kind of happening currently in um, I've drawn a bit of a thread from your first business that invested in new graduates and um coaching their clinical competency to you now wanting to do that on a broader scale. Is that a reasonable trajectory to have assumed? I think so, yeah, and probably not consciously done that, but I think that's just it's probably just my personality and how yeah. I, yeah, and um, wanting to support those. And, yeah, like, and I love doing that at my previous business and mm-hmm. I think, like, like you said, I want to do it on a, a wider scale. Um, and so, you know, with telehealth, it's, you know, it's easier to reach. So when I was in my previous business, all my supervision clients were interstate. I didn't have any locals. Yeah. Clinical supervision is an interesting one. We could probably talk for a whole day on <laughs> on this. Um, I personally think from what I hear, it probably needs to change up a reasonable amount. I think the way we did it 10 years ago um, isn't going to hack it going, going forward at at all oh that's good I'm glad you think along the same lines by that facial expression (laughs) one what do you think clinical supervision needs to look like nowadays I think um I feel like it needs there needs to be kind of a framework and structure and I think that supervisors need to have some sort of competencies around that as well um so you can have experience as an occupational therapy and mentor people but I think if you're going to then provide that as a 
I guess, a service delivery, I feel like you need to have some sort of skills and training and competencies around it. Um, And I'm hoping OT Australia kind of lead towards that, you know, with that supervision program that they've got, that that's kind of where they're heading maybe. Um, Because then I think there's more confidence in the supervisor's skills, but also what they're providing and teaching and supporting, especially Mm -hmm. early career OTs, um, that we're not just, you know, springing from, you know, like, Sharing about the tricky kids. Oh, yeah. And I think being within your scope as well. Like when they're talking about cases and you don't have experience in that kind of area, then you need to Mm. acknowledge that and and to say I might not be the right fit. Yeah. What do you think about um, OTs in this instance being ready, willing and able to be supervised, so that supervisee role? Yeah, um, I I find the ones that I've been connected with, whether they're from my previous business internally or externally and, and paying for my service, have actually been really on board mm-hmm. with it. And I think I do a bit of work before they start with me getting, you know, information around their learning styles and what their learning goals are and and what they want to achieve, but also giving a bit of background around the types of things that we can talk about and build into supervision as well and and kind of give them that framework to kind of work with as well. Um, so I've kind of, I've yeah, I haven't had any issues where I think it's respected and and thought after um and I find some OTs you know want lots and lots and lots of supervision and I wonder if that's a confidence thing and and not trusting themselves um yeah but I've my experience has been positive in terms of wanting that supervision and that support yeah when you think about it it's quite a professional skill isn't it to be able to assume that adult learning role um to have some awareness about what you do know and what you do do well, uh, but also that vulnerability of what you know you don't do well, that you want some support some support on. And as clinicians, we all, well, I'm no longer a clinician, but there's also those blind spots, you know, that, that stuff that you don't even know you don't know you don't know. Yep. And I used to say that as a new grad, I don't even know what I don't know to you know know where to start so I think having that guidance and that and sometimes having that external person or someone a bit removed you can see things a little bit more globally and and pick up like you said those blind spots but I think also working to frameworks and and using those you know models to build it in whether you're kind of really structured or fluid can help guide that process a bit as well yeah And I think OTs and allied health professionals, I think we're pretty good reflectors as well because that's part of your job. So you're Mm. just turning it internally a bit more. I remember getting to about 10 years out and feeling as though I knew the least I ever knew about anything. (laughs) So the more you know, in fact, the less you know, or the the less you know at at times. Um, And if if I match that back to where I was working in the environments at 10 years out, um, or even five to ten years out, um, I was still employed in part, and there was no clinical support. There was no clinical coaching. There were no sounding boards. It was all self-driven study, and 
man, oh man, that can be tiring on top of a public service caseload, as we used to call it. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was probably a bit similar. And sometimes when you look back, you think where yeah, where you were working, and sometimes it's something that has been new because you want that increased challenge or it's a more complex caseload or it's a different area of practice. And so then, yeah, you, but you know that you don't know stuff instead of not knowing that you don't know. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's, yeah, I, I think it's come a long way in terms of getting supervision and and seeking it. So, you know, I see like even on those Facebook groups that, you know, there are lots of out there and there's lots of, people out there just saying oh, I want I've got a great supervisor but I want extra support in this area and so like seeking that whereas we didn't have the, I didn't have that opportunity when I first started out it wasn't yeah. I mean I had great supervisors internally and I think that you know I was probably really lucky throughout my career really running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent it's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement We have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going. That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and pulse hope here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalised report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. As I gained more and more clinical experience, I actually wanted supervision, guidance, coaching um, out of discipline. And... um, that was really interesting. I um, participated in supervision uh, with speech pathologists and psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, you know, all sorts of people whose, whose ideas I wanted to tap and dance with, if you like. Um, I always worked in a, in a pretty broad, holistic, collaborative way and felt many times that occupational therapy just was a bit constrained at times and was a little <laughs> concrete around the uh, the edges. And it was, yeah, I'm, I'm keen for your thoughts on that. You know, what is out of discipline? What are the opportunities for out of or cross-discipline? Yeah. Um, Discussion at least. Yeah, interesting you said that because my very first job was in public health and it was a multi-disc team. Mm-hmm. So I had access to peds, pediatricians, psychologists, social workers, OTs, psychs. Um, speeches, social work, yeah, had the whole thing. And then downstairs was child and adolescent mental health and upstairs was child protection. And so I had like that was my training. And so I've always been really aligned with that multidis and connecting with other professionals. But I've not actually sought any formal supervision from outside of the profession. However, I do have lots of friends who are speeches and psychologists. And so, you know, you always talk and and so probably informally, yeah. I've probably got a good network of people that we, you know, you don't talk about particular cases, but you talk about, I guess, the professions and working in disability or, you know, in, in private practice and and how, how it's changing and how we can kind of, you know, keep 
those values aligned and how can we best support these clients and in what way and can we work together and so yeah more collaborative kind of conversations um mm-hmm. i think is really important not only for your own professional development but for your fa- the clients that you work with yeah 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 so my heart had a little flutter a few minutes back when you sort of said you'd um thrown a day at some business business planning what sort of um or how do you approach that? Because people do it so differently. Yeah, well, I it was a it was a course that I paid to do, and so it was a guided um, workshop, mm-hmm. and so it was online, and so I you know obviously carved out the time, and then I yeah you do a lot of reflection around the past, looking into the future, what you're wanting to do, and then I guess brainstorming all the things you want, and then prioritizing yeah. what you want to do. Um, and so it was just a really systematic way, which I'm quite a pragmatic person. I like my systems mm-hmm. in place and my to-do lists. And and so it just gave me a lot more clarity because it was all bumbling around in my head, but having it down and sorting through it all, I think just gave me that clarity of, okay, this is, yep, that's where I thought I was heading, but this is what I want to really achieve. This is what's really important for me. Uh, now how I'm going to, how will I do it? Well, there's my next uh, inquiry. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's one thing to have it on the whiteboard or in a yep. mind map or in a 30-page, oh, no, hopefully not in a 30-page document. Oh, no. But it's got to kind of, I love the word pragmatic, pragmatic planning, you know, it's got to spring to life. So how how do you think you'll translate that? So my first thing that I did was to translate it to my calendar. So I love the idea of a static diary. So um yeah having it in there and I did do that in my previous business not very well um however I'm very I've been a lot firmer in mm-hmm. saying yes to things and no to things Ooh. I know I'm practicing no I've been practicing no for a long time um <laughs> and it's an ongoing thing isn't it really lifelong journey um but just being very um specific okay Thursdays will be my business development day so I chunk out and um I had this book, it's the first two hours. And so, you know, like looking at productivity. Oh, and Love it. Yep. Uh, same. And so like chunking out two-hour time slots for different tasks but also thinking about when my brain works best, which is in the mornings. And so looking at that really creative, deep work, booking that in the mornings. And then I use Trello for all my projects and brain dumping to keep me on track and not losing things. Um. So, and then with the this workshop, we, it's a six-week cycle. So you do your goals for six weeks. So you chunk it rather than quarterly, you bring it in. So it's more um, to kind of keep that momentum going. Yeah, good halfway point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so might need to touch base in eight weeks or half a year and make sure I'm still doing it. I used to actually set a time in my diary, like in six months, to review my static diary to make sure I was still working for me. Yeah. I guess with your second business, you'll have a a different sort of flavour of confidence around the money side of things too. You would think. Yeah, no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, I think so. I think um, I'm having, I have a meeting with my accountant in a couple of weeks. She's on holidays at the moment, but I haven't, yep. So I want to set those targets for the year as well. And I've kind of already thought about what I want um, to be working towards. So I feel like this year is about setting the scene, the foundations, and then next year is about the growth. 
Um, and so even having that kind of strategy is very new compared to the first business. Like, you know, first mm-hmm. business, it's reactive, isn't it? You just want to get the money in so you can pay the money out. There's a really decent chance, Rachel, that you're going to have foundations and growth this year. Oh, possibly, but I won't be disappointed if it's just the foundations year. Yeah, yeah. It, um, you know, what we sort of observe in our conversations with our members and other people who phone for a, a bit of a help is the money mindset, for want of a better expression, can take a long time and it can be such a stress, I guess, um, for so many allied health business owners. Yeah, and I think charging your worth is something that kind of gets thrown around but it's really hard as OTs and helping professions to align yourself and and then sometimes you can align yourself with I I need to charge what I'm worth and then you get all this backlash like we are in the moment in the media and you know like oh they're money hungry providers and they're this and then that and so that kind of makes you wobble a bit I think as well but I think yeah I think working with that but also doing ethically is where you need to kind of sit with it. How have you figured out what to charge for what you're worth? I'm probably really rubbish at it. Um, (laughs) uh, So I, you know, what I started with was, okay, what do I need to to do to live? Okay. And then where do I want to be? And then how many clients do I need to see? So I kind of just broke it all down. So I started with, okay, this is what I want to earn in a year to be comfortable Yep. What does that mean in terms of how many appointments do I need to book in the day? How What do I need to generate? So yep. I kind of just did it that way. Yeah. I do wonder whether the current NDIS rate is helpful. I think it's it's almost like a magnet. Everyone just clings to it. But I'm yep. not sure that it's helpful. No, I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's keeping up with the true cost of running a practice either like I think mm. um was it three or four years that hasn't been an increase in the NDS rate caps like the capped that. rate yeah and I know a lot of businesses that their private rate is higher and sometimes significantly higher than the NDIS rate and so then there's that equity in the other way around and and yes I don't I don't think it's helpful either um I We're don't know awesome. I think charging what you what you're comfortable with and that you don't feel like it's rotting. Like they, you need to make sure that they're getting good value for that money. And I think if you can sit with that and you can communicate that, then I think that's how you work it out. Yeah. It's one of the ways, right? And, yep. you know, you've indicated that you, what you want your salary to be to support your lifestyle and working that back, you can start from a value and work it forward. You can yep. look at what the market will tolerate and, respect and want this there's a few different ways you can um you can approach approach all of that so interesting that you say that you've noticed businesses are essentially charging higher than the NGIS and giving a, a a lower rate um based on what I know we're both looking at in the media um yep. the old wedding tax scenario has sprung to mind and in fact it's not necessarily the case everywhere. For sure, it exists. For sure, um, yeah. But it's a it's an interesting position on owning the narrative. Well, in fact, we're two hundred, two twenty, two thirty, whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, our NDIS uh, clients who have NDIS funding, 
go with the lower rate. That's pretty yeah. bad. Who would have thought we'd get, get to this? I know, right? Yeah. I've heard some practices are charging a gap. Ooh, we better not name them on here right now. No. But, and they would be self-funded. Yeah. So that they can, but, yeah, I'm definitely not at that. I just, yeah. Mm. Um. Lots of ways to be right and comfortable in this current yeah. in this current market, and yep. um, who who knows? I hope somebody knows what it's going to look mm. like in three, six, nine, twelve months. Um, we're recording this at the start of twenty four. I think it's going to be a really interesting year on that on that front. Yeah, I think there's lots more conversations and lots more um, emotions attached to it. Yeah, bound to be. Yeah. Some. Yeah. It's tricky place to be really when you're trying to set I think the fees and and mm-hmm. trying to get it right for everyone so that it's a win-win a little bit like your uh, good self uh, we get the sense that an increasing number of businesses are wanting to diversify their income streams yeah. um, you know I, I think this was summed up years ago when one of our members sort of said in her NDIS audit our biggest risk is in fact the NDIS itself yeah. But it's also a little bit about some of those underlying passion projects, in this case clinical supervision for you, that have been sitting in the dark a little bit for a while, but there mm. seems to be appetite um, now more than ever that I can recall for, hell yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're really going to do this and we're going to do this and that really, really well to support and to support ourselves energetically, but also to support us to support the business financially. Yep. Yeah, I think um, I, I actually think you have to like to sustain, mm. especially a group private practice. I don't think you can just rely on hiring more staff, and then that's it. And, and just and continue. Yeah, and so I think I feel like it. It's you need to to mm. be sustainable, whether you're on your own. Oh. Yeah, long term on your own even. Like you don't want to be doing yeah. six, seven clients a day for the rest of, you know, your working career, especially if you're working peds. It's hard work getting down and it's a lot of getting up from the floor. <laughs> getting chasing them around and <laughs> down's all right because there's gravity. But... <laughs> getting back up. And it's and just that not even just the physical energy, it's the the your mental kind of you have to be mentally prepared all the time as well. And and pivoting and things, which is, you know, yeah, just adds to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Crazy excited and crazy um, impressed with um, the diversification that a bunch of our clients have had and totally paying, paying off, you know, yep. now a year or two or more down the, the track. So, and I wonder if NGIS had a play a part to play in that because when they first launched and we were the pilot site in Newcastle, yeah. innovation is, you know, one of the, the the threads that they were kind of talking about. So you had to be innovative to kind of continue and and you could try kind of out-of-the-box ideas in terms of, you know, getting some good outcomes. And so I think that's led to, you know, new new ideas and 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 reaching for those kind of other opportunities and like you said passion projects and interest areas and seeing if that can tie in to what you do as a therapist as well yeah it um it certainly was um expected 
if you like. And now if we were to look back on this first decade, it was also necessary. And I think some businesses, allied health businesses, have embraced the innovation more so than others and are perhaps a little better positioned to adapt and, you know, surf whatever, yep. whatever <laughs> way come, uh, come next. Uh, but I also, um, I also think that being a business owner can be really stressful and really fatiguing. And you alluded a little bit to that um, with what you remember from that first startup. And man, it's hard to be creative and risky and innovative when you're just a little overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sleep deprived and, you know, you're juggling parenthood business ownership, clinician, you might have to be a son, a daughter, a sibling or a friend as yep. well. Gosh, there goes creativity right out the window. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I totally get that. And I think that was me last year. There was no creativity in me at all. And I think sometimes you just, yeah, you know, just get mm. through the day, don't you? Yep. yep. Um, and I'll, But I think... I'm hoping, you know, I've got a three-day weekend every week, so that will help and, um, you know, have my self-care, things that align with me. I do my best thinking in the shower and in the car, so, you know, using those opportunities to. Oh, many people do. There almost needs to be this car collective. I <laughs> Listeners will have heard me say this, my team have certainly and friends have certainly heard me say this, when I'm stuck when I'm really, really stuck, I will do one or two things. I will jump in the pool, which I'm very fortunate to have just outside the door, or I will get in the car and do a hot lap of the freeway. Yep, yep. And so you just think, I don't know what it is, it just thoughts. And early morning mm. clients usually pop into my head early morning, but the I'm shower stuck. is also a good one, yeah. yeah. Love some thinking time in the morning, and that's actually one of my self-care practices that um, minimal, minimal, minimal range in technology and yep. the first hour or two will be a range of activities that set me up for the day but also provide some thinking time. Yeah, and I think some of the lessons I learned from the previous business, I'm actually implementing changes this time around. So my first appointment's not till 9am so that I can get up in the morning, take my dog for a walk, come back. I'll have a cuppa, then I'll do like I've got I'm lucky enough to have a Pilates reformer at home. And so I'll do either yoga or Pilates and then I'll get ready for the day. Ask you about your puppy. Yes. Where is she? She's here. She's somewhere around. I saw you yep. tickling her paw. She's oh. <laughs> been a um business companion with you for a while now, hasn't she? Yeah, so she's she's three and a half now so um me working from home a little bit more will probably make her happy clingy <laughs> clingy yeah i know right <laughs> i do outreach so i do some home visits and i'll do some school visits when they start back up so i'll at least be out in and out break it up a bit yeah yes. let's uh let's return back to this wonderful new business of yours i'm what i'm I'm thinking that your approach to marketing might be a little bit different this yep. time because you you had great authority and connections in the hood for the first business that was way more clinical, but now you've got this other clinical supervision component. What What's the marketing kind of strategy 
going to look like a bit because it's going to be different. Very different, I think. And yeah. I think that was probably one of my other challenge areas that I don't feel overly confident in. Um, so I've done sign up some sign up for some workshops in marketing and mm-hmm. and doing it ethically with allied health professionals. And so I'm kind of going through that process now. Um, I had my website and I had, you know, that done. I outsourced that last year while working. So I outsourced as much as I could to get it. So I paid a copywriter to do tone of voice. Um, so mm-hmm. I've got that branding and I've got that message that's consistent and and I guess relatable to me and my message. Um, so which if I had done it myself, I wouldn't have been able to, I guess, have the creativity to come up with the the flow. Get out of your own way, really. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's my word for the year is consistency. Ripper. So it's just doing some videos, which again is out of my comfort zone. So I'm just like (laughs) I'm just doing, I'm like, excuse me, I'm gonna do it. Um but just practice makes perfect, doesn't it? So yeah. just starting and, I, I, you know, that's one of the other lessons is just you just got to start somewhere. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be there. Otherwise, you won't get anywhere. Prolific beats perfect any day. Absolutely. So I think I've got a bit more learning to do before I feel comfortable, but, um, you know, social media obviously and getting out there and and mm. and talking to people really. Look at you go. <laughs> Which, you know, is fun. You could do your own podcast at some point. Oh, I could. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's another challenge for a different year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a good dabbling just to kind of see how it all works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What would you like listeners to sort of think about? You know, if you had the last word here, what, what do you want allied health business owners to think about? I think I want allied health professionals to really love what they do and if they aren't loving it, stop, reflect, talk about it, ref- yeah, and and find out why and if you can make changes. I think, you know, it's a great profession to be but it's a long time in a business or in a employment or job if you don't love it and I just think if you don't love what you do then you can't be providing the very best that what you could to your clients as well. So I think try and find that that thing that you love and try and get back to it or or explore a new love and try and see if you can mesh it. And Yeah. That's, oh, I think. Loving, loving that. Rachel, thank you so much for coming in and so easily and effortlessly and generously sharing your first business adventure and now uh giving us a bit of an update with where Business 2.0 is. So all the very best for Nurturing Connections OT. Thank you. I'm excited for it, actually. Yeah. 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 It very much um, aligns with your values and there's a, a congruency of what your experience was, what you're wanting for you and what you're wanting for others. Yeah. Yeah. So I think... Um... Yeah, it'll be exciting times ahead, I think. Mm. Meet new people, learn new things, yeah. Well, I'm going to enjoy watching from afar. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on nakercomau 
And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.